Okay, we are back, ladies and gentlemen, for another amazing podcast episode of PJ's Black Circle. This is part two of lavishing our love on our main man, Eddie Vedder. We've got Wes back in the house. We've got Greg back in the house. And I'll tell you, boys, when I woke up this morning, off in the distance, I heard this little sound. And it started to get a little bit bigger, and it kind of sounded like this. It was like, Eddie, 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 Eddie. And I was getting pumped, and I was getting jacked. And uh, I hope you guys are ready for another fun, action-packed episode to end this two-parter off about how amazing our lead singer is for our favorite band, Pearl Jam. Are you guys down? Yeah, man. For yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting that PJ mood, man. It was it was starting to roll last night. I was I sent you guys a little audio. I was playing, oh, yeah. playing a little rear mirror in, in in anticipation of of my of my guy. Hey, thanks, man. Of my guy on my son's ukulele. So I was I was he's getting a little frustrated. This morning I was playing too. He's like, enough. My my daughter was like, stop, stop. And I was like, no, man, you you get in the mindset, you're ready to go. Sock some head. Were they saying stop because they just hear Pearl Jam nonstop, or because your ukulele playing is a little suspect. <laughs> My daughter said stop because she was trying to play Baby Shark on the mm. Alexa app. So, oh, um, that's the that's jam. the reason why she had said, "Daddy, stop!" But yeah, I'm so thankful that I am past the Baby Shark stage. Uh, as soon as like that was on forever, and then when it came and it went, I yeah, I can't really say it's bittersweet that I haven't heard that song in a long time. Now, I, one thing I do remember, and I think Uncle Greg here got it for Little Man. Didn't you get Little Man when he was first born? Lullabies, yeah, a Pearl Jam yeah. CD yeah. Was a lull- for was lullabies, right? Oh, that thing was so awesome and of course i was loving it way more than he would ever understand but this is the kind of craziness of the pj parental units around the globe is they're starting at infancy uh by osmosis and playing pj lullaby songs for their kids now granted i did buy the metallica one as well too so you got the metallica lullabies it is good it is good but uh Pearl Jam is where we're at. So last episode, we talked quite a bit on just why we think Eddie's the best. And so this week, we got to give we got to give a little bit more to our listeners. And so what I kind of want to do is get a feel for um, his inspirations as far as where he gets a lot of his musical inclinations for his writing, for his melodies, maybe talk about... Uh, some of the people that we we all know as fans that he admires, maybe uh, some compilations he's done, some duets, you know, things like that. Just kind of get the juices flowing a little bit. So, uh, Wes, why don't you uh, lead us off? What feelings and thoughts have you been thinking about this week? Well, like you said, we talked a lot about um, just our, our admiration for Ed. And I think both all three of us can kind of just kind of have some a good you know connection with Ed because he came from nothing right and he's like the ultimate uh come from nothing humble rock star that celebrity that is paying it back paying it forward uh, I think he even did uh yeah. this Vax live that was event good. here recently yes so I mean we talked brush a little bit about this last week but coming from 
the family kind of that, that he was got into you know, born in you know north side of Chicago, you know moved into San Diego, and I think he's even had um, I didn't I'm not a historian by any means, but family life was not that simple. Uh, and again, just kind of getting through some of that stuff. And now he's a huge celebrity and, and godlike figure amongst his fans. And he's really been able to maintain that, that rock that he stands on and not really go, you know, too far in the, in the one way. So I think it's just been really, really awesome to see how, how much he still cares about his fans. And again, for us, it's like, he's like a, Mm-hmm. What bottle of wine? It gets better with age too, man. Just <laughs> Amen to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I was thinking. Um, Absolutely. You know, what are you thinking? Way G-Money? I see it is like Eddie came into my life when I was young, and he was angsty. I was angsty. We kind of that was the kind of relationship I got mm-hmm. with him. Was you know you know this really raw energy, and then then as he grew, as I grew, we grew together. So the lyrics and, and the music changed as well, mm-hmm. right? As uh, in my life. The same as his, you know, so it, it's always stayed like equal. It's kind of uh, we've grown together. Yeah, it's pretty cool to at least within our age groups be somewhat close to kind of where Ed's at and be able to kind of like mm-hmm. somewhat yeah. be there as he's been, you know, elevating. So, you know, coming from San Diego, right, it's well known that he got a demo tape from Stone and Jeff, which led to his immediate departure from California and came up to the Pacific Northwest to start the greatest band in the world. And, uh, but he had a band that Mm -hmm. he uh, fronted called bad radio and he was down there and I saw some clips of him and God, dude, he's got to be like, what, like 18, 19, something like that. But I don't know, at least I don't remember with the 18 and 19 year olds that I hung out with at the time someone that had a voice that was that strong. Like, you know, I did choir and all that stuff and it was a whole different type of singing, but I never had seen or experienced anybody with like that kind of Eddie Vedder, Lane Staley, kind of that guttural kind yeah, of the back of the throat feel kind of vocal. Yeah. Right. And thank goodness, you know, he was in California, which is a much better hotbed for, for music and entertainment in general. Like imagine if this guy moved to like Bozeman, Montana or somewhat. Yeah, Yeah. dude. Like, (laughs) like I don't think you're going to meet Joe Strummer right out in Bozeman. You know, I don't think you're going to meet Jack Irons in South Carolina. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, thank goodness he had that California hookup. And so when he came up, uh, it was, just it seemed like magic right and for a band to be able to have a lead singer come up that they've never known get to work right away rip off 10 12 14 songs in the span of a couple Mm -hmm. weeks and then do a live show within a month and put that music to work you know that there's something there and looking back on it like you said greg you know ed's got a lot of angst but he also is writing and singing Mm -hmm. about a lot of mature topics. So it's, it's pretty fascinating to have someone like that, that has that balance at that early age and seems like they've got this, you know, kind of like the sixth sense to kind of reach out and pull in all of these different thoughts and feelings 
Because, dude, when I was like 18, 19, yeah, I had a lot of thoughts and feelings going on, but it was pretty much just revolving around like one of two things, you know, it's like sports girls, you know, it's like the brain was like split down the middle, right? But this is is cool because you can speak to here, Greg, you know, having, you know, we got three different personalities on this show, three different upbringings, but we all gravitate towards the same person, you know, our entertainer. I still just wake up every day and I'm thankful for the music that they have because right. it makes me feel good yeah. no matter what mood I'm in. If that makes sense. I love sense. PJ radio on the way to work because it gets me ready. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's so good. Yeah. Hey, so, you know, go ahead, Wes. So I was going to say is, you know, back to the, um, the conversation where you had said it'd be hard to find Ed if he was located in uh, Salt Lake city, Utah at the time. Right. So, but sure hearing back in some old interviews, right? I think what was so awesome is, you know, I've heard, I think I've heard Ed where he said in his prior band, you know, they were more in the, I want to get messed up kind of phase. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of their, that was their MO. Sure. And then you hear Stone when he's talking on PJ 20, where he was delighted and completely shocked when he hears his voice. And then when he gets Ed up to, Seattle and he wasn't messed up and he wasn't, that's, that yes. wasn't what he was all into. Yes. And then you, you know, you tell me the story about him when he was on, you know, he got this demo from stone and Jeff where he was on surfing and he's like, I got to just go to my girlfriend's house. So it's closest because I got to get this on paper. Yeah. It had to have been just such a perfect kind of blend of stone and Jeff and the band wanted to just, they wanted to get stuff down. They wanted to, they wasn't about, getting messed up and doing these things and Ed same way. And then also for Ed, I, I, again, I don't know him at all. Sure. Sure. But I have to imagine like the early onset of, of Eddie Vedder was more, I got to get these emotions out more so mm-hmm. than I got to make money. Even though I think he, again, he comes from, I think he was a dropout. I think he you know did some you know stuff at some local, you know, whatever, but I don't think he was all really, I think he, and for him, it was more, I got to get this out because it's going to kill me if I don't emotionally, which is, and this is why you get good, great music. When I think of Eddie, one word that never comes to mind is flashy, right? Now, Greg, you told me a story one time you were driving downtown Seattle, you know, years and years and years and years ago. And this is probably Vitalogy era right around. And didn't you see Eddie Vedder? cruising in the car and um, like an old beater no um uh, wasn't me did see him walking down town one time on the sidewalk and he knew and he was wearing a mask mm-hmm. and but he, i knew it was him because of his jacket and his suitcase that he was carrying with him you know that suitcase is always like on the stage with him it that's was like so that awesome. i'm like that's him but he's wearing a mask i yeah. know that's him you can see yeah. the hair coming out the back you know so wouldn't that draw more? Wouldn't that draw more attention to him, Ed, wearing a mask? <laughs> Probably. This is prior, and this is prior pandemic. So mm-hmm. let's be honest, right? So it's not that kind of mask. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So some of the stories I've heard, uh, you know, with kind of Ed's reluctance to get into the mainstream. Uh, obviously, we all know the aspects of them not wanting to be quote unquote sellouts and put their music out the way that they feel they need to do it, work their own method, work their own artwork. You know, it's well known that Eddie and some of the band members were super upset that 
they could never get their record mm-hmm. to vinyl right away. It was on CD, right? I remember seeing old videos. I know. They're like right. holding up a yep. CD and they're like, what is this little thing? It's like, I can mm-hmm. barely see the artwork. Like they wanted a big vinyl and, and Eddie's not a flashy guy. He's got that very old school mentality. So I've heard when he would cruise around downtown Seattle, he just had an old beater car and this is three records in. So it's not like he was out buying Lamborghinis and cruising around. You know what I'm saying? I just get the feel. He really, yeah, he appreciates where he's at and the hard work he's put in. Well, yeah. And you also think his music does not um, spawn Mm. a lot of flash. Like, Again, like Motley Crue, that kind of music or any of the old hair bands, that is what I imagine mm. flashy cars and girls, you know, out of the out of the limousines. No. Ed's lyrics don't really connect with Flash whatsoever. No, not at all. Especially when you pull some of his inspirations being, you know, Sonic mm-hmm. Youth and Fugazi and the Who. And the Beatles, right? As big as the Beatles were, they, when I think of the Beatles, I also don't think of a a hyper flashy band. I mean, Christ almighty, they wore the same damn thing for 28 million years to every show, right? So it's not like the music he was listening to was also going to perpetuate this kind of like flashy, crazy lifestyle, which I think is another main huge reason why so many people around the world gravitate to this band because the way they are especially in live shows and how they interact with the crowd especially over the past 25 years even though you're there with 30,000 people you can imagine that he's having a conversation with just you or you and your friends I mean he's just talking like a normal person would talk right and so that's always been something that's been super refreshing and of course, as Eddie's grown, he has gotten, you know, his opinions are much more succinct. He's able to basically vocalize his thoughts and feelings in a way and then back them up for reasons why he feels the way he does, which is, you know, when you have music coming from the who, a lot of that music is like that, you know, certain feelings, major issues, being able to put that pen to paper and get that to resonate with the masses. It's I just think that's so difficult to do, but he yeah, seems like he and does you it know so what? easily. It's not like, you know, so. when they're not like one of those bands either, too, where like a thousand, if he walks down the street, a thousand people are going to come running around the corner going, oh, I do better, get your autograph, blah, blah, blah. No. It's like he could like sit there and have a conversation with totally. each one of them people. Totally. You know, if there was like a hundred people gathered around, he'd be like, hey, sure, I'll do, a, do an autograph here and an autograph there, you know? I think there was a time, though, in Seattle where he couldn't yeah. do that. No right. way could no. he walk down the yeah. street. Or go oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he would have got mobbed. Right. Yeah. And he still would. I, I bet if he still was would. still yeah. cruising over there in West Seattle, it's like, you know, if you just saw him walk into Easy Street Records, if I saw him like a half block away, I'd be going into that building as well, too. Try not to be a crazy stalker. But yeah, dude, I got to get me <laughs> a piece see, of some Edbed, dude. Every you know, one of those guys out done. in public, except for, except for Eddie. I mean, Eddie... I've seen like Jeff at Tower Records. I've seen Stone and Mike at a record store on Capitol Hill. Even Dave, right. back in the day, Tower Records, standing right behind me in line. There was like no like pandemonium. And this was in early 90s too. Yeah. 
That's so awesome. God, remember the days you'd actually have to go I to did. Tower Records there. at midnight to get the new release? And it was such a parking lot party. That was the thing, you know? Now I can just be lazy in bed and just like have my laptop going. I'm like, uh, push a button. Let's get some new tunes. But, yeah. you know, back in the day, you had to uh, you had to work for it. And talking about work ethic, that's something that I really see with Eddie and the boys is their work ethic doesn't seem to wane, even though now they got families and they got kids and they're trying to balance this. It's got to be insane, but it seems like they never stop producing. They never stop creating. And another reason why I'm just like, thank God that either I chose this band or this band chose me because I know I'm always going to get something. It'll be continuous right now. Who brought up the live Vax uh, Uh, concert? Was that you? That was me. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yes. Did you? Wasn't that a crazy rendition of Corduroy? Was that the craziest thing? Did you guys see so that? I have to admit, I didn't. I haven't seen it yet. But I, my one comment, I'll say, <laughs> the picture I saw of Ed, yeah, looked a little yeah. Bruce Springsteen esque. He did. He looked good. <laughs> yeah, was totally, like, man. The Patriot song was. He all rocked right. that shit. It was like it was awesome. Jumping all over the place. He did. That is a good. I one. I did not expect that for like one of those gigs. Yeah. And I only was able to like see two, maybe two or two and a half songs. So I'm hoping that he did more and there's more material out there. But it seems like the set he did was very, very brief. But what was awesome is he's fronting. He's got Josh Klinghoffler from the the guy that was in Red Hot Chili Peppers playing for Mm -hmm. for Shanti for the past like five years. So he was the lead guitarist and then a different band. So they did this version of Corduroy, which was completely upside down. And again, it's that uh, feeling I've always had with Pearl Jam. The first time I hear it, it's, it's a little uncomfortable because I'm like, why is this new? Why are they changing this? But it was so different and so creative that I had to keep listening. And I think it's kind of growing on me a little a little bit it's not i don't know if it's my favorite version of corduroy like but it was it's trippy west dude you okay. gotta hear it it's, yeah it's, let me do that it's nutty okay is it okay because they is it just the intro or is it the whole song because they've done that with like porch on live shows where they've changed that up which i wasn't a huge the fan whole, of the, okay the whole, whole thing song, is completely different okay. it's it's weird and it's kind of weird and in a cool way I know last episode we were talking a little bit about Eddie's solo stuff he kind of put out over the past couple months, that matter of time. So I did sit down and dedicate some time to really listening to the matter of time. And the other song was Say Hi. So I don't know how much you guys have listened to that as much, but the matter of time song, man, you're right, Greg, when you were talking about how he wrote it during the pandemic and he's putting a lot of feelings and emotion of what's going on currently at the time. It's such a great song. And I must've listened to it like four times in a row because I really wanted to kind of have it sink in. And one thing I couldn't verify if that's Eddie playing the, uh, the piano the whole way through, or if that's someone else playing the piano, but the whole song is piano based and I just kept thinking of Billy Joel, like the whole time mm. I was hearing it, it was very similar to that. 
And I, I do love me some Billy Joel. I just think his music's amazing. He's an amazing storyteller. Obviously, he's always on the piano. So I really got this kind of Billy Joel early on feeling from him, which was, again, another flip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought the piano thing was really cool. Can, is this guy ever going to stop evolving? I remember that time he did that. Um, I think it was the uh, the Global Citizens last year when he did that uh, the organ piece in his room in his house. Remember, remember, remember that that was interesting too. Yes, yes, yes. Really cool. yes. He did River Cross. I was like, he's playing the organ in his he's house. Playing the organ. That is so yeah. awesome. So that leads me to a question then, guys. Is like you said, you know, the evolution of Ed. I think is pretty clear as he gets older different instruments or different uh, different side of him what's your what's the best era of ed like you gotta you gotta find one era for ed what is that as i like you got madison mm. square garden on the background and mm. the the aesthetics mm. i do like is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my man crush says i do like a little uh shortcut ed he looks like i that. know look at him he's got <laughs> short hair dude <laughs> Yeah. So I'd probably pick, I was, I was thinking this morning, I was like, you know, I think you're right. You know, I think 2003, that that's probably my favorite Ed, Ed genre. Ed what time. about blonde Ed. Ed? Remember blonde Ed? I mean, he's not, he's still not, he's still not, that's true. 1993. Yeah, better Royal Hall. 19, yeah. No, 2003. Yeah. He's not jumping yeah. off rafters right now. 2003 you know. at the uh, Benny Royal yeah. Hall. Well, blonde. I would, yeah, yeah I would, weird. I would say <laughs> there is something about the introduction to Pearl Jam in this kind of 95, 94, 96 era. Just go out, slay the crowd. You never stop moving. You're jumping around. You're just, you're a sweaty, hairy, headbanging mess, which I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love everything about that from any band that works that way. But not having as much material at that time. You know, I, the first time I saw Eddie right here with the, with the short hair, I wasn't expecting him to have short hair when I showed up to this show. So mm-hmm. I was like, Holy crap. He's wearing a short sleeve collared three button down shirt and short hair. I'm like, uh, who is this walking out on stage right now? Is this yeah. our guy? Like what's going on? Right. I saw this version of Ed the first time on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And they, yeah. it, was, it was the right axe. I was like, this doesn't even look like Eddie Vedder. I'm like, what the I know. Is this? <laughs> I know. But I do, I think his voice is primo in yeah. the early 2000s. Um, the catalog is substantial at that time. The band is cranking. They put a lot of energy. And, you know, it's very effortless. So I'm just, this is what I like. Now, I did love when they did the home shows. And it was... You know, it's just a whole, every time I go, it's a whole different feel, even though I've, I've been been fortunate to go to a number of shows, not 80, 90, 100, like some of the, the total awesome lunatics that I'd love to meet how they do that. But I think around this time period, everybody's tight, everybody's healthy, everybody's mm-hmm. looking good. So yeah, man. I'm. I mean, I really do love this kind of Ed early two thousands. Uh, what about you, Wes? Which Which one do you like? Yeah, I, I think I agree. Um, like you said, he he's got more of the catalog. He's he's not jumping all over the place. He's not jumping in too bad. He's not jumping into the crowd anymore. But <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask another question. Like, was it the Ross Guild thing that? Because 
obviously early nineties, there was still like a lot of like mosh pits and heavy crowds mm-hmm. on the state floor. Like Greg, you've been to a Pearl Jam show okay. now where you go into the GA side. You're not really, it's, and I've mentioned this on other episodes where there's kind of unwritten rules. So if you go into the GA, you really don't move or you don't try to, you know, work your way up into the right. front that you, where you stand is kind of where you're at. I guess. You got your spot. Yeah. You got your spot and it's pretty respectful. Like when did that change? Because I imagine in the early nineties, it was oh, no, yeah, it was, no holds barred sure. trying to get to the front, but mm-hmm. all of a sudden it stopped. Was it the Ross guild? Was it, was it the Ross guild thing? It, it that could had, be. Said, hey, we're not doing this about anymore. It. Yeah. That, that weighed heavy on the band. It really did. And they changed, I think they changed the whole security aspect of that after that, you know, after those people got trampled and stuff. Right. Yeah. It, it would have had to been around that time because it, the GA used to be so open. And then I remember that they were limiting how many people were going up in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed, Eddie really started taking complete control of the crowd's safety onto his mm-hmm. own shoulders, which is another thing that's like super admirable because whether you're a, a younger rock star or maybe an older rock star, Obviously, we know they care for their fans and people appreciate their fans. But to be able to stop a show on a dime, make everybody back up from the back of the venue to the front. And you know how we always will have people take mm-hmm. like three, four steps back at the same time to relieve the pressure at the front of the stage. I mean, I've been to a number of shows where that's happened. And I've been to a number of shows where I've seen other bands and I'm just like, I this could be my last show ever. I might not get out of this huge crowd because it's just swirling and crazy and insane off my feet six feet off my feet for most of the show back in 1987 (laughs) yeah man i mean i've been in the seventy-five thousand people crowd and huge huge festivals and it's a whole different feel it's cool for what it is but even at in better shape in early 20s it's still a little scary yeah it is you know because you, you know, if you go down, right, other people are going to come down around you. And so there is this kind of community in the crowd that if someone goes down, everybody's going to help them up and pick them up and things like that. Yeah. Simple, quick story, man. Uh, I went to the, <clears throat> it wasn't a Pearl Jam show. It was a, uh, more of like a ska band that I went to go see the Showbox Soto many years ago, probably 10, 12 years ago. And I was like, I really love this band. So I got to the very, very front and it was crazy, man. These people would just were unrelenting. And this little, this, this woman to my left was like literally in tears the entire time. Like, cause she thought she was going to die. Like, yeah. <laughs> so it, I mean, again, yeah. not to, it, it does get a little intense when you're dealing with some people who don't really care about that so i want to again a testament to to pearl jam and putting some restrictions on that because it makes for more of a mm-hmm. intimate show when you can bring right. your kid and put him on your shoulder you don't have to worry about falling down and, and killing your kid yeah exactly now what's cool about going to a pearl jam show is that i would feel totally comfortable at any age yes uh going into the ga because it's just not that type of feel anymore. Right. Right, And uh, you have to also realize the fact that a lot of the people that were loving Pearl jam in 94 
have grown with in the band and therefore are and this similar demographic. Yeah. They don't want to, they don't want someone picking them up and crowd surfing. And I'll give a quick shout out to um, uh, Greg's cousin, Jimmy. Uh, the first time I ever went crowd surfing was because of him. We're in the kingdom parking lot. Suicidal tendencies was playing. And this mother effer picked me up and threw me on top of the crowd in front. And luckily I was able to get over the barrier and no one dropped me because we're literally on concrete. And then I saw the next dude that got pushed up that was cruising. He just went like head first on the <laughs> ground. So kids don't crowd surf. It's, you know, unless you're on like pillows of air or you got a lot of people oh, around you. The days. It's, it's scary. Oh, the days. Ouch. It hurts. So who else do you guys see as being some major factors as far as Ed's inspiration? Who do you guys like that you know he takes a lot of his oh, bonus man. from? Oh, yeah. Neil Young, for sure. I was going to say Neil Young. Yeah. Right. You know, just the way he carries himself. I think Neil is a storyteller. Maybe some some Tom Petty, too. I know Petty they're too. close. They've done some compilation together. But yeah, maybe some yeah, maybe Bruce. Bob Dylan, possibly, too. Yeah. Oh, the boss. So have any of you guys ever seen any of these other people that you know are his inspiration, like Tom Petty or any of that? I saw a Petty concert. I think I told you this, Nino, offline. But my, my first Pearl Jam show was very uneventful um, because I was like, okay, I was like 22 years old. And again, I was telling the story where I thought maybe this was like the last tour that they were ever going to do. And this was the, um, uh, the self-titled timeline. Um, so I drive up to St. Paul, Minnesota, and I didn't realize this at the time, but I should have, it was a petty tour, but Pearl Jam opened. So, which again, you, any rock fan would be like, that's the most amazing show I've ever seen. But it was just cause I was going there really to see Ed and the band where they played 12 songs and then they were out and then Petty came on to play 30 songs, which Again, I'm not. I don't dislike Tom Petty, but the, uh, whoever the lead guitarist can play uh, really well. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> but that's my Petty story. Was it was he had kind of overtaken Ed because he played more. That was sad. Of course. Well, it wasn't really like a Pearl Jam show, right? It was like a Tom Petty show. It was a Tom Petty show, which again, unbeknownst to me, um, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. I'll forgive you for not loving Tom Petty as much as you should that <laughs> show because you're a butt hurt that you didn't get more Pearl Jam in your life. I would be the same. I get it. I understand. What about you, G Money? You seen any uh, bands over the years that you know that Eddie would be a direct uh, um, kind of descendant of, so to speak? I've seen Tom Petty a few times with you. <laughs> yes, I was there. I missed the Who the last time they were here. Sonic Youth. I saw Sonic Youth back in the day. Yeah, back in like 93. Yeah, 94. right? That was good. So why do you think Ed pulls like some stuff from Fugazi? Uh, because he was a, I think he was like a skater, surfer kind of, you know, and that was just kind of the music that they listened to. I mean, I, I, I grew up in the same kind yeah. of friends and stuff like that, you know, skaters and punk rock and all that jazz, you know, when I was in my early teens. So I can see it, you know. Did you actually, were you a skate punk? No, I could I couldn't ride a skateboard to save my life. Yeah, I tried it one time and busted my ass so hard. No. No, but I hung out with all the skaters and the punks and stuff like that. I was in a band and stuff like that. 
you're like, I am one skateboard and done, dude. Yeah, I could never get down. Dude, I was uh, seriously, I was, I got on the skateboard in this um, ravine, this concrete ravine, and yeah. got down to the bottom and came out from underneath me and boom, right on my head, dude. I was like, oh, oh yeah, rock your like, shit. You're like, I'm done. Yep. I'm like, no. So I did see a lot of, uh, I, I have seen quite a few of the bands that he lists as some inspiration to him. So I have seen Sonic Youth and I have seen Paul McCartney and I have seen Tom Petty and uh, a bunch of these other, you know, similar feeling, you know, inspirations that he's relating to. And it's, and it's funny because you know, I would just love to be a fly on the wall backstage at some of these places and just kind of figure out what these guys are talking about. What makes them similar? What makes them click? I know it's all about the music at the end of the day, right? But, you know, how similar a lot of these folks' personalities are and what Ed learns from them and takes from them. God, it's got to be an amazing life to be surrounded not only by your peers, but the people you look up to. And all of a sudden you're you're hanging out with these folks. It's just got to be surreal. Well, you know, when they're doing that, um, hanging out with Neil Young a lot, and they came out with that that one record. Maybe it was Neil's record. Um, Mirrorball? Mirrorball. West Coast. A lot of, a lot of their, uh, there's, there, there was a lot of, you could tell a lot of their influence <laughs> yeah. on, from Neil Young was there. Mm-hmm. When they started recording, I think it was even like, was that single, was Merkin Ball or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you could definitely tell the Neil That's Young right. influence was there. Absolutely, Uncle Neil, man. You know, it's funny out of all the kind of different podcasts we've done with Pearl Jam, we've rarely talked about Uncle Neil and his insight and input and contributions to Pearl Jam. And you know, for me, I I have not and don't listen to a ton of Neil. All I know is that if I got the opportunity to see him, I would totally go. And what would be kind of fun is I'd be going in, I'd be going in kind of blind because I don't, I know some of his major hits, but I don't know his catalog very much. And I would just love to go to a show like that and soak it up and kind of go in with the mindset of what am I going to get out of this? Can I figure out the why and the bridge of why Eddie gravitates towards this type of inspiration? I bet it would be very glaring you know you'd be able to kind of figure it out right away you know that's why i like to go to so many shows and go to so many concerts it's Mm -hmm. sometimes i'd go to bands i would never go to but i go strictly out of the fact that i know they inspire some of my favorite musicians so there's got to be something to it right Mm -hmm. got to figure that out which is pretty cool Mm -hmm. um which kind of is a little segue into maybe the last part of the show for today is Eddie and the boys have done a lot of maybe like compilations and they've had a lot of the people that have inspired them up on stage or done duets with them or been on different records or singles and things like that. So do you guys have some favorite, you know, duets or compilations or kind of mashups that they've done or Eddie's done with other people? Uh, I like to listen to those, those live, the live shows down in Australia when he was with the, crowded house those guys the finn boys it, it was cool those, right yeah, those are pretty cool very different yeah i never i would have never thought crowded house would have been like i know one of <laughs> eddie vetter's like i don't know if they're influence or just friends or what but yeah 
it was really cool. Yeah. To watch yeah. those or listen to those. And obviously we've seen Eddie do a lot of Tom Petty, right? At his shows, yeah. right? So we kind of know that that's already there, which is completely amazing. Wait, he, he did a really good version of um, uh, Masters of War by uh, Bob Dylan years no, ago. No crap, dude. That thing was and awesome. That was, and that was on, I don't know what compilation it was on, but it was it was amazing. Yeah. And uh, he couldn't have done it any better. Well, the first time I heard that. Any better. <laughs> yeah, Eddie, Eddie could have done any better than that. You know, the first time <laughs> I heard Masters of War was from the Ben Arroyo show. And Wes and I were talking about that quite a bit and how much we love that whole set list. And I'm still upset that I couldn't get in there. And that was the blonde Eddie. That was the blonde Eddie. That was, and I didn't have an extra $2,300 for a single ticket to get into that show, but you know, water under the bridge at this time. But, um, what about you back? That was the back when, uh, I was packing my apartment to move to Vegas. So I didn't go to that show. No, well, Vegas, baby, Vegas, you know, yeah, move, we'll get move, there. We'll get there. To the desert. That's where we all got to hook up. So uh, the three of us with the wives, it's time to uh, get a Vegas uh, trip going for sure. We all got to meet up. What what shows did you uh, what uh, compilations do you like, Wes? I've never seen one in person where there's been actually Ed and another front man. As I've said in the past, the Madison Square show that he's playing right now in the background. I've always loved the Ben Harper oh, yeah. coming on stage for Red for Mosquito. a few yeah for a few jams. Indifference when he does Indifference and he does um, my own two hands in part of that, or if that's in, even in Daughter. Um, oh, some of the coolest coolest parts of that show is when Ben Harper yeah. comes in and and honestly they com- uh, they complicate or they they complement each other really well. Except I th- I mean Ben's got a terrific voice, but I do probably again bias enjoy when Ed kind of comes back in um, when when Ben's on stage, but I think Ben Harper and him are a really great little yeah you know, dude. Ben Harper they, they is so awesome. Several tours with him. Yeah, well, the show that we saw together, Nino, I think Ben opened. No, they didn't. Mud Honey did. Yeah, was that was that at the That's Key right. Arena? Mm-hmm. That was at the key. Uh, one of the, sh- uh, it was, uh, it must have been a, a few years earlier at the key arena when I saw Ben Harper open for, yeah. for Pearl Jam. Heck yeah, man. Too. Yeah. I love, I, I hope one day they would come back and do something together, you know, or maybe play a festival and all that stuff together. Oh, speaking of festivals, you guys might have saw that at Ohana, uh, Ohana Festival, Pearl Jam has a September. show booked. That's right. And Eddie Vedder's play the night before. I know, man. That's I will right. not probably. Yeah. I, I will not probably. I will not be going. But um, <laughs> the boys have a show, so uh, that's right. And that's in twenty yeah. one. Yeah, baby steps. December. Yeah. Baby steps. Baby steps. Yeah. And I, th- I think I saw they put back on the European tour for summer yep. twenty two now. So I think. We're getting 2022, close, I know. think, is going to be kind of where it hopefully starts to take off a little bit. Now, here's here's the silver lining in all this. At least there is, because uh, I mean, honestly, Pearl Jam could have said we're done. You know, Stone could have said I'm I'm ready to just be an old man. <laughs> old um, but they're not. No. Nope. Um, at least if they're, I mean, even if they're putting it on the schedule in 22, that means they're almost guaranteeing us 
live Pearl Jam shows sometime before we all peril. They want to play that gig time live, big time. And that's all they talk about. Right. They're like, oh, we want to play these songs live. We want to do it. We want to see the crowd's reaction to the live versions of these songs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And some of them on that record are just like really, really good. Like oh. would, really, would be really good live. So good. Sure. Cannot wait. It's coming, boys. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is going to be a band that will. I mean, I'm not going to put them. I, I, I'd be a little remiss if I didn't feel like I could try to put them in the same category as the Rolling Stones as far as longevity. That is a stretch. That is a serious <laughs> like that's, that's a stick. That's a 60 no year commitment. And I you don't want to put that burden an on anomaly, anybody. Man. Yeah. An enigma. But how is Keith Richards still alive? I I don't know, but I am <laughs> some I kind am, of witchcraft. But if the boys continue to evolve and they continue to just kind of keep on this steady trucking pace, it's not like the music they play has to be like a Slayer or mm-hmm. Metallica or Slipknot or anything like that, where it just demands this constant physical commitment to produce the, the music, right? Yeah, they could be 80 years old just doing acoustic stuff. You know? They could be doing whatever, yeah. and even their fast songs, if you take it down a half step, whatever, it's totally fine. It's still going to be great. So their music also lends itself to this like longevity feel. Yeah, you know, I got my fingers crossed uh, for that, for sure, because the pot pie that is the Pearl Jam. OK, <laughs> we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about the Pearl Jam pot pie. This is why. This band is not going anywhere. Everybody needs a hearty meal. Everybody yeah. needs to be satiated and satisfied. Mm-hmm. And that's what these guys do. So for me, if you're going to have Eddie Vedder be a part of the pot pie, I would say he's he's probably the meat and potatoes. You know what I'm saying? He's mm-hmm. the he's a, he's the power. He's the protein. Right. Yeah, he keeps it going. Right. He's my man. Now, Wes or Greg, now if somebody's going to be, say, (laughs) the hot creamy center that keeps it all together. Jeff. Yeah? You Uh, like Jeff as the uh, hot creamy center? Nice. I like that. I'm going with uh, Matt Cameron on that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Why do you like like Jeff for the hot creamy center? It's because the the hot creamy center is not giving you the flavor. It's giving you a weird texture, oh. but it is. Oh, I like it. Yeah, it is. It I is. Like. Uh, like you said, it's it's just the glue that's kept the band together. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I I wanted to say Stone on there, but Jeff is a little less flashy than Stone. Um, Stone is more like the uh, carrots or peas. You know? I would have said um, Stone was the outer crust. Oh, oh, there you that's go. Nice. Yeah, nice. all right. I'm digging it. <laughs> but I don't know. Then Mike, you have to find something really good for Mike because he's not just a carrot. So, no, sure. he's not a carrot. No. So I kind of have, um, <laughs> I kind of had maybe a little Matt Cameron as maybe my hot creamy center. Uh, mm-hmm. I, for me, he just kind of holds it all together. He's just mm-hmm. okay. steady, right? He just mm-hmm. keeps going, right? There's he just holds it together, keeps it rolling, keeps it rocking, keeps that tempo, yeah, right. How keeps many songs everything that guy got in his head. 
from all the bands and the puck dude jesus are you kidding me like how do you separate all that stuff and know how to play all that that is just crazy makes him creamy you know i think um so i got kind of eddie maybe maybe i'll just take eddie as the meat right you know he's just kind of the meat i i've got stone maybe as my he's my sweet peas right because he's just too sweet He's so <laughs> awesome, right? Even though he kind of looks like, you know, Bill Gates playing the guitar a little bit, just kind of a little turkey neck strut. You know, he's got kind of that Microsoft look on stage, right? <laughs> could could be your fifth grade science he teacher is, out there. He's just sweet. Um, I think Matt. You know, I I got Matt as my potatoes because here's why. You know how many different styles of potatoes there are? Right? Yeah, ton of different styles. I mean, how many people do you see playing an upright bass at a rock show? How many bass players do you see picking up a guitar and laying some guitar licks at a rock show? Right? Mm-hmm. How many? Di- okay, so you got you got Jeff as the. Potatoes. I got Jeff as some potatoes because he's always okay. kind of changing, okay. yeah, and he's got so. Yeah. <laughs> Slight correction. Oh, all right. Yeah, I'm sorry. I've got Jeff. Okay, so Jeff. so what do you got as the crust? Well, I don't have the crust, but I got Micah as the salt and pepper, right? He's the salt. He's the flavor. He's the pepper. He brings that pepper, baby, you know? Yeah, that's funny. I, I'm sure my taste for my Pearl Jam pot pie will change over time, but these guys, you know, to kind of round it out, they're so tight. Then, then you got... They're so amazing. Boom. You got Boom Gasper as the uh, the butter bread. Oh, with the pot pie. He is. <laughs> he is that nice little so side eating, dish, isn't he? You're eating pot pie and butter bread. <laughs> it's oh, a lot of carbs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> definitely not on the West's family uh, dietary yeah, uh, development. Not. There, no, not at all. Definitely not. Oh man, good times, good times. So oh, good job. Yeah, guys. this was fun. That was fun. You know, there's so much good stuff with Eddie that we had to do two parts to it. So we're hoping that um, in this upcoming season, we might focus in on some more of the other band members as well. We've got some other fun ideas coming up for next week. Any last minute nuggets from any of you fine young men before we depart? I want to give a shout out to uh, PJ Columbia for uh, taking a listen. I know they're listening down there. Nice. Nice. Little, right little on, Bogota man. action down there. Yeah. San Diego. Nice. Chile. I don't know. Yeah. There's uh, all kinds of countries down there that are huge Pearl Jam fans. Well, but Columbia. Ooh. I know they're they're uh, they're liking it. Oh, yeah. Nice. They're liking it. I'm going to give a shout out to uh, little Chris Cornell because I have a feeling without his early influence maybe the band would still be the band being that Pearl Jam, but maybe it would just be a little bit of a different kind of fair. And so I really do um, appreciate that relationship that they have and had with him on a lot of different styles of music that they've done, a lot of different collaborations. And I think favorite collaboration of all time that Eddie's ever done, it's not with Sting, it's not with Cheap Trick. It's not with Ben Harper. It's not with Tom Petty or Bruce Springsteen or any of these guys, but it's Hunger Strike, Chris Cornell, yeah. the very first duet. I mean, you just can't get any better than that. So yeah. that's, I think that's that one, where my heart 
lies with that. That's one. A, that's a yeah, that's a layup. That was too easy. That's that's <laughs> yeah. That hey man, but you know the emotions there for that one. So. Yeah, I know, dude. Honestly, again, that, I, yeah. So I love that one. Now, thank you, Nino, for setting that. Yeah. up. Yeah. Um, All right, boys. I'll, just one last thing. Check us if you if you're on Twitter. Uh, hit us up on PJ Black Circle Podcast. Follow us. Um, also, uh, you can hit us on our email, which is at the um, at the bottom of the link on the the download. So you can send some feedback or some topics your way as well. So thank you, everyone. Yeah, much love. All right, peace out, everybody.